0: All right, well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter one. I don't know about you, but I am ready to jump straight into God's word and to allow it to transform our hearts, to transform our lives, and to build us up to the people that God has called us to be, a people who are unhindered, shameless plug right there for our series title, in our pursuit of God and a people who are ready to go in to take the good news of Jesus to their world. Now, for those of you that are just joining us, we have been on a series, as I just mentioned, called Unhindered, where we have been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Colossians. And just a little background. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to the church at Colossae. And in it, we can see his concern for this church that he's never visited. So he gives them some theological truths and insights about the nature and work of Christ and practical guidance for Christian living, all while written from the confines of a prison cell. And I mention this because I feel like it just brings context to who it is that's writing this letter. I mean, this right here wasn't some up-and-comer or run-of-the-mill theologian. This was a man who had some serious street cred amongst the early church community. Like, everyone knew who Paul was. They knew that he physically bore the scars of his unwavering commitment to Jesus. Literal marks that came from the countless beatings, stonings, and persecutions that he had endured all throughout his ministry. And so when Paul speaks, it's not mere theory or speculation. It's the wisdom of someone who's weathered some of the fiercest storms for the sake of the gospel. And his words are etched with the authenticity of a life that is 100% devoted to Christ. And we can see this here in our opening text in Colossians 1. And here we are in verse 25. says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week, about what it meant to be a steward of the things that God entrusts to us. He goes on to say, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now, some of your translations will say to make the word of God fully known. Now, I want us to just hang out here for just a moment. I think it's real interesting that the Holy Spirit led my wife uh, to change what she was going to say this morning because it really fits right in with what I'm talking about. I want us to dial in on one particular word that Paul uses here. He says, that I might fully, (laughs) sound like a familiar word, right? Carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now, if you remember in the first message of this series, I, I taught you about how Uh, expensive it was for parchment and and for ink. And so we know that Paul would have been very selective with every word that he wrote. And so when he wrote the word fully, it was intentional. It had meaning and it had purpose. You see, the word fully in the Greek, it conveys a sense of completeness, abundance, abundance, Or saturation. And I love that he chose that word because it teaches us how we are to handle God's word. We're to proclaim the entire message of the gospel without omission, compromise, or dilution. Paul's use of fully reflects his dedication to presenting the gospel in an unadulterated form. Leaving nothing out. He wasn't a selective preacher, cherry-picking convenient or popular parts of the message. But instead, he was resolute in conveying the whole counsel of God, even whenever it came at a personal cost. Sadly, in today's world, we have many preachers who are partially preaching the Word of God. Like they soften or they omit certain challenging aspects of the gospel, And they do so because they're enticed by the allure of larger audiences, popularity, or worldly success. Well, Paul's example calls us to a higher standard. But now I want you to watch this because this isn't just talking about preachers. We are all called to make the Word of God fully known. This is just the task of those that are called to pulpit ministry, but each and every one of us has been called by God to make his word fully known in our lives and to the world. And that call, I can promise you, comes with a price. Meaning that you're likely to be treated differently. You may not get that invitation to some of your peers' gathering. It means that you might have to step outside of your place of comfort and security. And it can also even lead to persecution when you stand firm in the face of opposition from a world who often rejects God's message. Ultimately, fully preaching the gospel can even cost us our lives as it did for Paul and many other Christians all throughout history. Yet in the midst of these sacrifices, we find the fulfillment of Christ's call for us to take up our cross and to follow him. We become like that man we spoke about a few weeks ago who goes and finds a hidden treasure in the field, and then we go and we gladly give everything that we have to lay hold of it. Are you getting this, church? I'm talking about us being all in and unhindered in our pursuit and devotion to Christ. Be willing to pay the price no matter whatever it may be to ensure that we live in such a way. But let me be sure that I'm clear in what I'm saying because fully making God known is about more than just the words that come out of our mouth, but it's also about the fruit that comes from our life. In every survey conducted when people were asked, why don't you attend the church? The most consistent response is because of hypocrites. Now watch this. Now I I know there's several different angles by which we could address that, but how about this? How about we address it as the church this morning? Like how about we take a genuine look at how we treat others at how we act or react whenever things don't go the way that we want them to go? How about we take inventory of our words and see if more criticisms and judgments come from our tongue or more gratitude and blessings. I don't mention all these things in order to bring condemnation upon ourselves. I'm just saying that I believe that as the church, we should be doing a routine self-examination and then be honest about what that self-examination reveals. Actually, if we were... To really embrace community the way that God desires of us, we would come together like pieces of iron, sharpening one another. And in this close-knit community, we would be able to discern the areas in which we need to improve. Because that's exactly what we see when we're reading the scriptures. We see a group of believers who don't just confine their faith to a Sunday morning gathering, but they do life together. And as a result, their love for one another is otherworldly. Jesus says this in John 13, 35. He says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me illustrate it this way. There are several people in this room that this could be true of, but Buck Bell could rebuke me, correct me, anytime that he so sees fit. And guess what? It would not cause me to take offense. You want to know why? Because I know that that brother sitting right there on the front row loves me. Yeah. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that it is <laughs> going to sting, right? I mean, none of us ever like to be corrected. But if he ever points out an area that I need improvement, I'm going to listen and know that it was driven not by criticism, but by love. Now, church, when we as a community of believers operate in that kind of profound love, then would be able to gently and lovingly help one another grow, knowing that it's all rooted in our love for Christ and our love for one another. You see, this kind of love is transformative and unmistakably marks us as followers of Jesus. But catch this. I can promise you that if all you ever do is to come to church a few times a month, you'll never fully experience what we're talking about here. 1 right. John four twelve says, No one has ever seen God, but if, and watch this because this is a very big if, but if, we love one another. God lives in us, and his love is made, there's that word again, complete in us. Hmm. Don't you love how the scripture uses words like, even what Jody said today, complete, full, and abundant. I love it. Friends, this is right at the heart of the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, He's the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the end. And as we read a few weeks ago, all things are held together in him. See, it's not a matter of what God can do because all things are possible with him. But the Bible teaches that all things also are possible to him who believes. So the question here this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe what his word says? See, I think that this is right at the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Colossae to imitate his life by giving his heart fully to the cause of Christ. Not holding anything back, but do everything that his word says to do. Guys, this is where we start walking in the blessing of God. I've seen so many people, they say, Well, I tried church. You know what I love to say to people when they say, I've tried? I said, You've tried, but you didn't die you still holding on to some of you. And watch this. You can't just put a little bit of God into your life and think that all of a sudden things are going to be great. Yeah. Whenever you repent, and I just need to put this out there because so many churches is just making it so easy. Man, come to the altar. Hey, we'll give you 100 bucks if you come up here. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like... No, you know what? There should be a barbed wire fence up here, 10 foot tall, and we dare people to get to the other side. Because friends, we're talking about heaven or hell here. Do you recognize that? So we can't just say, well, let me try this God thing and just see how it works. As a matter of fact, if you're here and you're thinking, I'll just try this God thing, it's not going to work for you if you just try it. It requires you being all in. Jesus has to be Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. If you're going to put him fifth place in your life and you expect God to work miracles, it doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't have to take my word for it. Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first, not third, not second. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all things will be added to you. So whatever it is that you need added to your life, first and foremost, you need to know that Jesus has to be first, friend. And so if you're here and you're doubting and wondering, why am I not seeing God? Then put him first. (laughs) Now don't be here and say, well, I have been putting him first for the last five days. Well, (laughs) this thing called steadfastness too. And there's this thing called patience, this virtuous thing where God wants to do a work in us. And if we allow patience to have its perfect work, it says, then we will be complete. There's that word again. Yeah. So there's a process. There's a process, amen? amen? Now, let's go on to the next two verses, Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. And Paul continues writing by elaborating what, on exactly what the Word of God is. He said that it's the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been made manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, ready, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now watch this. For us 21st century Christians, I don't think that we fully grab hold of how significant this revelation here was for the church at Colossae. Paul is telling them that what had been hidden from past ages is now being made known to them. So what they're about to hear is what past generations never heard or didn't fully understand. Like sure, the Old Testament gave some some glimpses, but it was never fully revealed. But not only that, what did it say? They were Gentiles. I mean, just guys who were constantly facing hostility and alienation. I mean, they were considered unclean, and they couldn't even see the hope of any of God's promises. But now Paul is telling them that the mystery of God, he said, it's being revealed to you. Church, hear me on this. We, I'm speaking to us, should never take lightly what we have been given with the word of God. It's the word of God that brings hope to the hopeless. It's the word of God that offers comfort in our times of sorrow. It's the word of God that provides strength in our moments of weakness. It's the word of God that empowers us to overcome every obstacle. It's the word of God that ignites that fire within us. It's the word of God that reassures us anytime we find ourselves facing doubt. It's the word of God that speaks life into the dry bones of despair. And it's the word of God that equips us for every good work in his name. Church, I'm talking about the living, breathing, life-transforming power of God's word. And here's what I want you to lay hold of. That mystery that Paul was writing about to the Colossians, it's no longer a mystery. That mystery is now our destiny. And what's that mystery? It's this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now imagine hearing that being a Gentile in Colossae. That means that they are no longer outsiders. They're no longer far removed from the promises of God, no longer outcasts. They now have the very presence of Christ dwelling within them. Their hopelessness was transformed into an unshakable hope. And their alienation turned into a deep connection with God. The church, this truth still remains unchanged for you and I. In a world that often seems chaotic and unsteady, we have something profoundly steadfast. Christ in us the hope of glory. I mean ponder this thought for just a minute. The creator of the universe, the savior of all, the one who conquered death itself dwells in you. We carry the glory of Christ everywhere we go. And it's that hope that sustains us in every circumstance. You see whenever life becomes unbearable, when sorrows overwhelm us and we feel frail or weak, remember this truth, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's not a distant hope. It's a present reality, a living, breathing, life-transforming power of God that reminds us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give a life to your mortal bodies by that same spirit living within you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, let's apply that great promise and spiritual truth to where you live. Like, how does this apply in your parenting? How does this apply in your workplace? How does this apply in your marriage? Well, let me just say it does in every way. For example, in your parenting, it means that we are not alone in guiding and nurturing our children. We have the spirit of the one who leads us in truth and in love. And really one of the most powerful ways that this truth impacts our parenting is by serving as a model for our children and allowing the life of God to transform our actions and our attitudes so that we point them to Christ. Practically speaking, it means demonstrating patience, kindness, and forgiveness because I can promise you that the world isn't teaching them these things. Christ in you, the hope of glory, also impacts how we relate to one another within the family because it encourages unity, love, support, all of which is necessary for a healthy family. Can I just pose something to you? If you do not have a regular prayer, worship, or devotion time with your family, I can't think of a greater goal for your life than that. Like nothing reinforces the idea that Christ is the center of the family like doing these things together. I say, but what about the workplace? How does that truth affect my job? Well, knowing that Christ dwells within us can reshape our attitudes and our actions. And it, cause, it can cause us to approach our, our jobs with a sense of purpose rather than just trying to collect a paycheck. Christ in us The hope of glory means that we reflect his character with our co-workers, clients, and with our boss. It means that we show integrity, kindness, and excellence in everything that we do, and that we put the needs and the interests of others before our own, just like Jesus did. It also means that we work to be peacemakers anytime conflict arises. Now, some of you might be like, well, pastor, this point doesn't uh, apply to me because uh, I work from home. <laughs> well, um, I work from home too, but you know where I've found to be the most conflict in my life? It's not with the neighbors or coworkers or family. It's the internal conflict that I have to deal with. Now, if you're not understanding what I'm saying right now, then just lean in and tune in because I'm talking to you. See, we think that the greatest conflict in our life results uh, because of something that someone else has done. For example, that job didn't work out because of so-and-so, and this person didn't treat me fairly, and that person stood in the way of me getting my promotion. But can I just love you enough to tell you the truth and say that if you're constantly blaming someone else? for things and how they've not worked out in your life. Maybe, I'm just saying maybe, they aren't the problem. By the way, you know how you spell blame? Be lame. That's right. That's for free. (laughs) Church, what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about the conflict that resides on the inside of us. I had a similar conversation with someone recently who couldn't keep a relationship. Don't worry, it's none of you in this room, okay? Um, but this person essentially said to me, good women don't exist. Now, all my single ladies right now, you should be raising your hand and yeah, they do, right here, right here, okay? <laughs> yeah, but you don't want this guy, though, okay? All right? <laughs> we'll, we'll, let me filter that as your pastor, all right? Um, all right? <laughs> But he did. He, he said to me, Chris, almost said it in his, his voice. I better not. I'll get caught on camera. But <laughs> says, Chris, good women doesn't exist. And what he meant by that was none of his relationships worked out, and he had a lot of them. But he never stopped to consider that just maybe they weren't the problem. Well, don't worry. You can rest assured that I loved him enough to set the record straight. (laughs) You see, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is applicable in every area of our lives. Why? Because in every aspect of our life, we need him. I mentioned marriage earlier, and understanding Christ in you, the hope of glory, it serves your marriage in all kinds of ways also. Like first, it serves as the bedrock of love in a marriage. How? Because understanding that Christ's love is sacrificial and and it's unconditional, it causes love to move past emotion and to a commitment to act in the best interest of the other person. Christ's presence within, it encourages selflessness in marriage. It's having the attitude of serving rather than expecting to be served, mirroring Christ's humility. Here's a very practical way that this truth serves our marriage. There's not a marriage that I know that has communication 100% down pat. Like we can all agree that we can all grow in this, right? And when we have the presence of Christ, his spirit will guide us on how to communicate. Like he'll let us know when we need to say something, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of times the Holy Spirit says, Chris, keep your mouth closed, right? <laughs> he will guide us in speaking truth and love, active listening, practi- practicing active listening. Y'all know what that is, right? I teach this in my premarriage counseling courses that means whenever you think you hear something that the way you think you hear it may not be necessarily the way the person's saying and the way that you say it the other person may not be hearing it the way that you say it and so whenever you say something the person needs to say no let me make sure I hear you correctly and then repeat back to them what you heard because I'll tell you there's been many times many times I've practiced this to Jody I said Jody are you saying she goes no that's not what I'm saying I'm like "Ooh, I'm glad I practice active listening so practice active listening that's free also all right but a spirit will guide us in how to communicate and will guide us in speaking truth, listening actively, and in seeking to understand the other person's perspective. And these are just but a few of the practical ways that having God's precious Holy Spirit in his word applies to our life. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is not a mere theological concept, but it is a life-transforming reality. And Paul wraps up this first chapter of Colossians on the heels of that revelation by saying this in verses 28 and 29. He said, We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power which works mightily within me. Paul's words encapsulates the heart of his ministry, and it should resonate deeply within each of us. He proclaimed Christ, regardless of what it would cost, and eventually it did cost him his life. But his aim was clear, to present every person complete in Christ. And church, this too should be our mission, to present every person complete in Christ, you hear me say this each week, but our purpose is to know God and to make him known. And I know that we've been talking a good bit about making him known as we should, but you know what? We can't get the cart in front of the horse. Our primary calling is to know God, to prioritize knowing him deeply and intimately. You see, this knowledge of God, it doesn't produce a passive or casual acquaintance. It comes from a profound, life-transforming relationship. It comes from spending time in his word, seeking his face in prayer, and allowing his spirit to work in us to reveal the depths of his love, his grace, and his wisdom. To know God means understanding his character, his will, and his heart. And it involves recognizing his sovereignty, his holiness, which hardly no one talks about anymore, and his unending love for us. It's about experiencing his presence in our daily lives and being sensitive to his leading. When we intimately know God, making him known becomes a natural outflow out of our hearts. Let me say it this way. Those who have the most profound love for God also exhibit extraordinary love for their fellow man. You see, loving our neighbors is our vocation as Christians. It's not an extracurricular activity. It's at the very heart of the gospel. Now, I want to leave you with something very practical. And as your pastor, and especially for where we are going as a church and where I know that we're about the next season that we're about to step into, I'm asking all of you to do this as your pastor. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to make a list of every person that comes to your mind that does not know Jesus. That can be a family member, that can be a co-worker, that can be a neighbor? It could be just someone that you're walking, I don't know, down the marketplace one day, and all of a sudden, you're just really burdened from that man with the big beard and, you know, that guy, you know? But whoever it is that God brings, I want you to make, we'll call it a hit list. There we go, right? A Holy Ghost hit list, all right? Come on, a Holy Ghost hit list. Go get them, Lord. Draw them in, amen? And then I want you to place that list somewhere somewhere. Where you're gonna see it every day. And then I want you to pray over that list and then watch what God does. James 5 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But the only way that it's gonna be powerful and effective is if we are praying. Are you catching this, church? I feel like, oh, in the church in America, we know this. You know this. But what we've got to do is we've got to apply this. Apply this. Are you with me? After expressing his desire to present everyone complete in Christ, Paul then concludes this chapter by declaring, For this purpose, I labor tirelessly, relying, and this here's where we rely, relying on his mighty power. At work within me. See, this tells me that revival isn't going to happen if we just sit on the sidelines. Passive spectators will never be a part of the great outpouring. No, it's going to require each of us being all in, unhindered, trusting the power of God to do through us what we could never do on our own. I know that in the church, we often talk about waiting on God, as there are many times we should. But friends, when it comes to making Jesus known to a lost world around us, watch this. He's waiting on us. Look, he already told us to go. Go spread the good news. Go share the gift of the cross. The greatest longing. In the heart of God for humanity is that every person comes to know Jesus. And God has commissioned you and me to be the ones who facilitate that introduction. Here's what I'd like to do now. I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet with me. And I don't want us to just wait until we write out that list. But I want us to intercede right now for your lost friends and loved ones. As a matter of fact, this right here can just be a good start to the list that you're going to put together. But guys, let's put into action this message right now. Amen. How about let's just not wait till we get home. How about let's do it right now. And so I want you to think of those in your life who don't know Christ. I want you to think of, like, specifically one or two people right now, one or two people that you are going to speak the name of Jesus over them. You're going to speak their name to God right now. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring them before the Lord and pray. Okay? Y'all ready? This is participation moment. This isn't spectator moment. All right? So y'all ready to do this? I'll lead you in prayer. But has everyone got that person? Yeah? Then let's pray right now. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we come before you today with grateful hearts, recognizing that there is no greater desire on your heart than to see all of humanity come to know your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are deeply aware that there are people in our lives who need to experience the love and the grace and the salvation that can only be found in Jesus. And we lift up the names and the faces of those who we know have yet to know you personally. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw them closer to you and that you would touch their hearts and open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Father, we ask that you would create divine appointments and open doors so that others would share Christ with them. Lord, grant us the wisdom, the courage, and the compassion to be your instruments in this mission. Help us to speak the words of life and to live out the love of Christ before them. May our lives be a living testimony to your grace and power. We also ask that you would soften their hearts and that you would just prepare them to be receptive to your truth. Remove any obstacles or barriers that stand in the way of their faith. Let your light shine in their lives, dispelling the darkness of of doubt and unbelief. You, O God, are the God of and we believe in the transformative power of your love. And we eagerly anticipate the day where we will come together and rejoice for the salvation of those that we are now interceding for. For it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And all the church says, amen. Stay with me just for a moment. You know, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't give an opportunity for anyone who is here this morning who does not know Jesus. So if that's you, I want to extend that invitation to you right now. And I want to say this to you. Everyone look at me just for a moment. God loves you. And his love was demonstrated by sending his son to come and to pay a price, a sin debt, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He sent his son to come and to pay that debt so that you and I could be back into right standing with God so that we could be recipients of these great promises that we talk about here so that we could walk in his peace, walk in his love. And by the way, one day, get the promise of heaven. Church, that's a big promise right there because I can promise you that eternity is long. And so if you're here this morning, or you're watching online, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, what in the world are you waiting for? And I say in the world because clearly you've believed a lie that the world has something to offer that's better than God. Friend, it's a lie. I said it's a lie. All the world has to offer is a counterfeit. I worked at banking for a short period of time when I was in Bible college, and here's the thing about a counterfeit. It'll pass a few places, but eventually that thing gets caught. And so you can pass off the counterfeit for a while and say, but friend, I've been living my best life now, and and I've not had to face all these things that you're talking about. Hold on. That's from people who who, who did it and found out, wow, man, uh, what was I thinking? Don't turn to the things of this world because, friends, it's a lie. Jesus is what you need. I'm going to say it again boldly and proudly because I know it's what I need, it's what you need, and it's what this world needs. Jesus is what you need. You were created to be in relationship with God. And the good news is this. You can be in relationship with him. It doesn't matter. Look, you could have got stoned out of your mind last night and someone drug you here. And guess what? God loves you. You could have fooled around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend last night, and maybe your mom or your dad, somebody talked you into coming today. Guess what? God loves you. When Jesus says come, he says come as you are. And so if that is you this morning, and you want to know that every stain that is put against you, that every mark that has been written against you will be forgiven and that you can repent. Now, repent means this, and it's so important that I say this. This isn't just receiving forgiveness. This is saying, I believe. That the lie that I was believing, that that it is that, it's a lie. And so I turn, I do a 180, and Jesus, I fix my eyes on you. And I'm living for you, your ways, and your purposes. And when you do that, friend, there's no better life. I say this to people often, if that weren't true, then we would have met at a bar instead of church. But guess what? There's nothing at the bar that's going to fill you. There's not a relationship that's going to fill you. There's not a promotion that's going to fill you. There's not enough money in the bank that is going to make you happy and complete. Only Jesus can complete you. And not only does he complete you, by the way, he causes you to overflow so that his love flows in and through you so that others will grab a hold of it. And so if you want that love, if you want that grace, that free gift of God, I want to ask you right now, if that's you, would you put your hand up? Put it up. Don't wait to look around and see, see anybody. look? Like if you say, man, I want Jesus. I don't care who's looking. I don't care. I want God in my life. I need God in my life. Friend, you can have him right now. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? God brought you to this place to hear this minister say, he loves you, man. He's got a better plan for your life, a better purpose than what you're living for. Now, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. It's a prayer of surrender of the one that says to God, God, I recognize that I was born a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior, so I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. That's what it is. And the Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, then we would be saved. You say, saved, what are you talking about? That's a Greek word, sozos, which means, you ready for this? Complete. That's what we've been talking about. Only Jesus can complete you, friend. Only Jesus can complete you. So if you want to be complete, that's what this is an invitation to right now. Join me in prayer. Those of you that are watching online, join in as well because I assure you, whether you're hearing this message later next week or next year or next century, I promise you that this has no expiration date. You can call upon the name of Jesus and whosoever calls upon his name will be saved. Pray this prayer out loud. Saints of God, join in with us as we pray out loud together pray this from the bottom of your heart Lord Jesus I confess that I was born a sinner in need of a Savior Jesus I believe that you are the Son of God that you died on the cross for my sin Jesus I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says I want to live my life to know you and to make you know in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God one more time for his goodness and his love?